Well, would you join me in a word of prayer before this morning's message? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, summertime is a difficult time for church, isn't it? No? Okay. Uh, I never know exactly how many people might or might not be here on a given Sunday, and so you don't want to have your best material, you know. Because uh, you only got so much good stuff, right, to say. Uh, and so this series, I just said, uh, who cares how many people are here? I love the book of Proverbs, and I just wanted to dive in to this book for a few weeks. Um, Honestly, I've probably read the book of Proverbs more than any portion of the Bible. And the reason is I started reading it when I was a little guy uh, because the person that taught me to read the book of Proverbs said there's usually 31 days in a month and there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And so being the brainiac I was at 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, he said, hey, you could read like one a day, every day. And if you skip one or you forget or, uh, you know, you, you, you lost your Bible, whatever it is, uh, you can start back up by going, okay, what's the date today? What is the date today? Anybody? I'm just giving an example here. Thank you. The 28th. It's interactive because some of you are just like <laughs> struggling. I can see it. Um, and by the way, if you're going to sleep, just go for it. All right. Don't fight it. You look goofy when you, when you fight it. Just go for it. Drool, everything. Uh, we could have a pillow ministry. Uh, but if it's the 28th of July, you, you go to Proverbs 28 and you read that chapter for the day. And so because of that practice that I started when I was a little guy, I've probably read the book of Proverbs more than any other book in the Bible. Uh, and after that, I've probably read the Gospels more than any other book in scripture because you can always learn something amazing reading about Jesus' life. But I love the book of Proverbs. It's been part of my life for a long time. It's been a part of my thinking for a long time. And I'm so thankful that somebody told me that when I was young. I'm so thankful it's become part of my thinking and, and part of the way I interact with the world. And I hope to uh, if that's not the case with you, I, I hope to give you a passion, a desire to read the book of Proverbs regularly. I hope to infuse into you uh, a longing uh, for what it says in your life. Now, it's interesting to me because I was born in 1969, and in 1970, Phil Donahue came on the air. Um, anybody remember Phil Donahue. Yeah, uh, he was a talk show host, and uh, he was uh, one of the first, or probably the first talk show host to run around in the audience with a microphone uh, as he asked people questions or as they wanted to interact with him. I've thought about doing that for our announcement time, but I've been told that would just really minimize the amount of announcements we had, so I'm really tempted. Uh, <laughs> Phil Donahue would run around the audience and, and he'd throw this microphone into people's faces and they would interact and they would talk and he started this whole genre of TV and radio shows called talk shows. Um, 
And he was unrivaled for about a decade until a gal named Oprah Winfrey came along. Mm-hmm. And Oprah Winfrey started her talk show. And, and, and then you had spinoff shows from Oprah, right? Because uh, she had Dr. Phil uh, show up, and he was this uh, kind of hard-nosed dude that kind of set people straight, it seems. And then she had Dr. Oz um, and... Uh, Susie Orman, uh, different experts in different fields. And all those people spun off and have their own shows now, or at least for a while they did. And all of these talk shows, uh, they want to encourage people. They want to help people figure out the best way to live life, how to be happy, how to be healthy, how to have good relationships, how to to have a great marriage, how to have wonderful kids, how to have enough money. Um, They want to help you have a great life, all of these talk shows. And and not only were talk shows enough, because, you know, we we wanted to read the books that the experts on the shows had written. And so there was this whole self-help genre of books that began. And so you have all these classic books like, uh, you know, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus. Uh, Anybody read that one and understand it? The guys are like, I don't know. From Mars, we can't read. Um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Stephen Covey, and trying to figure out how to organize your life. I read that, and I I still am trying to figure out how to organize my life. Um, I guess I'm just not highly effective. The Road Less Traveled, that's my road. Um, Road Less Traveled was a a big self-help book, and uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. All of these self-help books and all of them seeking to help us figure out how to live the best life we could possibly live. And nowadays you have preachers that jump into it. You got Joel Osteen and you, you have different people who have write different books and, and they have different takes on how to live the best life now. How to be happy and healthy, how to be wealthy, how to have great relationships, a great marriage, how to have, in fact, there's this book that I'm really tempted to get. It's called How to Have a a, a New Kid by Friday. Of course, my wife is interested in his other book. This is Kevin Lehman, uh, his other book, How to Have a New Husband by Friday. (laughs) And I assume... He means the same one. He'll just be different, I hope. I mean, there's no shortage of books to help us figure out how to live a great life. And it's so fascinating to me because American airwaves, both on the radio and on TV, are just jam-packed full of talk shows. And the books in the libraries and in the bookstores are just full of self-help. And yet... Are Americans living the happiest lives? There was recently a poll, uh, and only 33% of Americans reported being happy with their lives. 33%. We probably need more talk shows and more self-help books. Um, when it came to health, there was recently a, 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 a study that came out. It was called this, U.S. Health. In international perspective, you know, because they're doctors and stuff and they got to come up with big. U.S. health in international perspective, shorter lives, poor health. And so what they were doing in this study was comparing Americans and their health to other 
uh, industrialized, developed nations in the world, and we ranked really poorly against many other nations. In fact, we die, men in our country, uh, we rank 17th for the mortality, mortality rate. That means 16 nations that are men lived longer um, than we do. Um, we were more prone to obesity. We were more prone to chronic health concerns than these other nations. And we probably need some more talk shows and, and, and self-help books for that. That would probably help us, right? Um, how are we doing on relationships in America? I mean, if you look at marriage, 50% of marriages end in divorce in our country. Uh, it seems that we're not getting that one figured out. You know, we probably need another talk show or a self-help book to help us with our relationships. Did you know that sarcasm is next to godliness? <laughs> That's in uh, first opinion. <laughs> second thoughts. Yeah, one of those. You know, with all of these self-help books and all of these talk shows trying to help us know how to live the best life possible, it seems ironic, doesn't it? That Americans aren't doing a very good job of living the best life now. Why is that? And what could be the remedy? How could we live better lives? How could we live life more skillfully? And this is why I love the book of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs is a book that teaches us wisdom. In fact, it's, it's wisdom literature. Um, now, we don't have wisdom literature anymore. We have self-help literature. Back in the ancient day, they didn't have self-help literature. They had wisdom literature. And wisdom literature, they try to help people understand how to live a skillful life. How to live life well. And the book of Proverbs has all these pithy statements. If you've ever read it, you know that it's got these short little statements and you know, maybe you don't know this, but it's not a book that um, you just sit down and read and it makes a lot of sense. There's no chronological flow to the book. There's just, you know, one little statement after another little statement after another little... I thought he was talking about marriage. Oh, now he's talking about money. Oh, I thought he was talking about kids. No, he's talking about, you know, it, it's all over the map. And that's on purpose. And we're going to look at how best to read the book of Proverbs here at the end of the sermon. But one of the things that we gather from the book of Proverbs is wisdom. Now, one thing that we need to do is we need to understand what the Proverbs aren't, are not, what they ain't, okay? In redneck, what they ain't. Um, I'm going to get hit. Um, what they ain't is this. They're not promises. The Proverbs are not promises. They are truisms. They are axioms. They are usually true most of the time. But they're not a promise from God to you. Okay? Now, there's been a lot of damage to Christians by other Christians who have said, these are promises of God. You just need to name them and claim them and grab them and hold them. And, you know, it's like, Ugh! I want to run when I see that. 
And so these aren't promises from God. They're truisms. Let me give you a couple examples. From Proverbs itself. It's really easy to see them when you read the Proverbs. Sam, that first line of Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs 15. 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. That sounds like it'd be true most of the time. But I know plenty of people who got plenty of advice from plenty of other wiser folks, and their plans still failed. And I know other people who didn't talk to anybody about what they were going to do, and their plans succeeded. So we know that this isn't always true. It's a truism. It's generally true. It's basically saying, if you got a big decision, talk to a couple people about it. They might help you with it. And in general, that's really good advice. You know, that, that's helpful. But we know that there are exceptions to this. It's not a promise either from God of if you consult with people, I will make it work for you. You know, what if you consulted with a group of kindergartners? You know, what the world needs is like bigger boxes of crayons, man. Okay, awesome. I thought, and I did, and it, uh, you know, now I owe a million dollars. I mean, there's, it's generally true. There's another one. This is another good one. Uh, Proverbs 16 is where this one comes from. Gray hair. Thank you. Now, don't get mad at the messenger. I'm just reading here. Gray hair is a crown of splendor. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Yeah. Now, is that always true? I've known some people with gray hair that are not righteous. They're jerks. They're sinners. They're bad. I mean, there's, there's a phrase in our culture. We call them dirty old men, right? Some of them have gray hair. So we know that all people with gray hair aren't righteous. And what's the proverb trying to tell us? I mean, it's not a promise of, hey, I got gray hair, I'm righteous. You know? It's generally true. And by the way, if you put this into its cultural context where people died in their 40s and you lived into your 60s where you started getting gray hair, 70s, in the ancient context, they believed that the longer you lived, the more righteous you must be because God is still putting up with you. (laughs) And and so they figured that if you lived long enough to actually get some gray hair, you must be righteous because the vast majority of people died long before they got gray hair. And so I know people with gray hair that aren't righteous. I know people with gray hair who are righteous. I know people without hair who are righteous. I know people without hair who aren't righteous. I know people who have, you know, normal hair, whatever hair, and they're righteous. I know people who color their hair. And I don't know what yeah. color their hair would be, and neither do they. <laughs> who are sinners or who are righteous. In general, this isn't a promise. The next one, this one, maybe some of you moms have been beaten up by this one. Uh, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Generally true. Generally true. Not a promise. I know people who are good Christian people who have worked really hard to raise their kids in the way they should go, 
to go to church, to read their Bible, to follow Jesus, and their kids don't. And I know other people. One of my favorite kids in our youth group when I was a youth pastor, her name was Michelle Panzarella. Italian, go figure, right? And uh, her family had an old-fashioned Italian deli in Littleton, on Littleton Boulevard. If you're ever in Littleton and you need a good hoagie, go there. You know what I'm talking about. And so Michelle Panzarella came from a family of non-believers. And she came to Christ when she was in junior high. Her parents taught her different. And she chose Christ, thank God. This is generally true, but not always. It's not a promise. God is not saying, if you do these things, it's not a formula. If you do it this way, if you focus on the family, if you read these books, if you do it... Family life today, if you have devotionals, if you do all this stuff, it's not a promise. One of the best examples of this is Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, in his own words, said that he was raised by good Christian parents that did devotionals, that took him to church, that taught him to read his Bible, that taught him to pray. He departed from that way of life. He grew up and he was a mass murderer. If these are promises, God's not very good at holding up his end of the promise. These are not promises. They're true-isms. They're generally true. Usually true. So, with that in mind, we want to dive into what the Proverbs are. Uh, We're going to look at the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. And don't worry, this isn't a 31-week you know, walking through the book of Proverbs. Oh my gosh, that's like self-explanatory. Even a fool's considered wise if he keeps his mouth shut. I mean, how much more can you say about this? We're just going to look at this passage and we're going to jump around a little bit. Now, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. If you have, have your Bible, turn there. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, we got to say a word about Solomon. He was a really wise guy. In the good sense of the word, not as a prankster. He was David's son from Bathsheba. And Solomon one night, uh, actually when he came to, 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 to be king, God asked him, what do you want? What do you want from me? I'll give it to you. Anything you want, let me know. I mean, could you imagine? All of us wish for like a genie to magically appear and ask us that question. What do you want? Oh, um, you like that TV commercial that Toyota has recently done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'd like to get rid of the spare tire. You know, and so the spare tire in the car disappears. <laughs> that was easy. Um, anyways. <laughs> what does Solomon ask when God says, I'll give you anything you want? Solomon says, give me wisdom. Now, I gotta point something out really quick. He was already pretty wise to ask for that. What did you say? I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be that wise. Oh man, give me like all the money in the world. That'd be awesome. You know, give the Broncos lots of Super Bowls. You know, I don't know what I would ask for, but I probably wouldn't have asked for wisdom because I'm just kind of foolish. Solomon asked for wisdom, and God said in His answer to him, "I'll give you wisdom." And since you didn't ask for wealth and long life and happiness, I'll give those things to you too. 
Now, the interesting thing is, I bet you God gave him those things because it's a byproduct of being wise. And I hope to demonstrate that from the book of Proverbs. So Solomon, next to Jesus, was the wisest man that ever lived. He wrote this book, and he says, this is the purpose of this book. Okay, so this starting out, this is like the author's foreword. It's like, here's why I wrote the book. For gaining wisdom and instruction. For understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to those who are simple. Knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. And let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, for the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or some translations say wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's his purpose for writing this book. It's his purpose for putting together these collections of sayings. Now it's interesting because our age that we live in is the information age. Maybe you've heard that before. We live in the information age. I don't know who we asked all the questions that we asked Google before Google existed. Do you know? I guess we asked parents a lot of those questions, right? Why is the sky blue? My kids ask me those questions. I don't know. Google it. You got an iPad. Google it. I don't know. Why is the sky blue? I don't know. How many yards did Terrell Davis rush for? I don't know. Google it. Uh, What's three plus five? I don't know. Google it. I mean, my brain can go completely on vacation nowadays because we live in the information age and you can, you can do algebra on Google. It's a homework help, man. I love it. Who did we ask all these questions of before we had Google or before we had search engines? I guess we just wandered around going, I don't know. And we just didn't know much. Now we know more stuff. But knowing something... And having information at our fingertips does not make us wise. In fact, I would argue that there are fewer wise people living today than probably any other time, but they know a lot. They know a lot. Now, look at what Solomon says. It's very interesting because he says, this is for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair. It's not just for getting all this head knowledge crammed into us and getting all this information and all this knowledge and all this instruction. It's so that we can take that and do. Sometimes I struggle with that doing part. Sometimes I like to sit around and study, talk to other people about my ideas. But then there's the doing part. And Solomon says that a big part of this book, a big part of of wisdom, is doing. It's putting what you know into action. It's like how James says, because James, the book of James in the New Testament, is classified as wisdom literature. And James says, um, if you look at a mirror in the morning, anybody look at a mirror in the morning? <laughs> Unfortunately. And anybody go, oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> All I did was sleep. You know, it looks like World War III happened at night. I blame my wife. I think she's like, bam, slugging me or something. But 
You wake up in the morning, and James says, if you don't do anything about it, you know, if you don't do anything, I mean, you have new knowledge, wow. <laughs> but then you walk away. And that's what Solomon says. James got that idea from Solomon, that if you learn all this stuff, but you don't do any of it, you're not wise, you just know more stuff. So, doing is very important. Now, as we keep reading, let the wise listen. Let the simple gain prudence, knowledge and discretion to the young. If you're young, I mean like not at heart, but chronologically, listen close. Your whole life is ahead of you. And you have the opportunity. These words were written by the wisest man that ever lived except for Jesus. You have the opportunity to open this up and every single day you can learn. You can learn the best way to live. If you are a young person, this is one of the most powerful things you can do with your time. It's to learn these principles and to put them in to practice. Now, that was free. He says, this will help us gain wisdom. Well, we probably need to understand what wisdom is, right? I said that the whole book of Proverbs is to help us learn wisdom. Well, wisdom is skillful living. Wisdom is, is knowing how to live life skillfully. Wisdom is, is knowing how to handle your money, how to handle your relationships, how to be joyful, uh, how, when to talk and when not to talk. That's when I could learn from me. Um, wisdom is skillful living. And did you see where he says it begins? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What does that mean? Now, if it means that wisdom is skillful living, what do we mean by being afraid or fear of the Lord is the beginning of that? I mean, could you help me understand that a little bit? Do we mean like scary movie four, fear of the Lord? Uh, do we mean um, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, fear of the Lord? What do we mean by fear of the Lord? Well, it's interesting because um, there's many different ways that the Jewish tradition has tried to understand this. It's trying to understand this idea of being afraid of the Lord, fear of the Lord. And one is, the, one of the simplest ways of the fear of the Lord is being afraid of his punishment. Fearing that God would punish you for your behavior. I remember growing up at my house and I had a healthy fear of my dad. Still do sometimes. Every time I talk about him at church, I kind of get a little... And the reason I didn't participate in certain behaviors was because I was convinced that my dad would rip my skin off my body while I was still breathing. <laughs> the reason I thought that was because he kind of sort of told me. <laughs> and I was afraid of my dad. And I feared punishment. 
In fact, I can still remember the last spanking I got from my dad. And he used his belt, and he missed my gluteus maximus. He liked to hit my hamstrings. I don't know why. I mean, I should have drawn a target for him or something. (laughs) I think it's because the hamstrings hurt more. And I remember the last time he gave me a whooping, and it was because I lied to him. I remember the last time he grounded me, it was in high school, and I was late coming home from church. (laughs) But dad, I don't care, you're not going to that church for two more weeks. (laughs) Train up a child and the way he should go, I'm so confused. But my dad kind of had a hard edge to him. I was afraid of him. And I was afraid of being punished by him. And the Jewish tradition teaches about being afraid of God's punishment. And I was watching some sermons on YouTube this week because I had nothing better to do. And these guys were talking about how the American church has no fear of God anymore. Mm. And you know what? I found myself agreeing. Do you know why I thought that? Because I saw in myself that I often lack a fear of God. I lack this fear of God sometimes. I lack this fear that God might come down. Don't don't make me come down there. (laughs) I lack that fear sometimes that God might discipline me, (coughs) might punish me in some way. And so in fact, I've started, as I've thought about this, I'm starting to think through some of the things that happen to me that I don't like happening to me. (laughs) And kind of asking myself, is this God's punishment? Is this God's rod of discipline? Is this God's way of waking me up and getting my attention? And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you, that's what you need to hear today out of this whole sermon. Is there are things going on in your life and they keep happening and they keep going back and forth and doing the same thing. And you keep going, why? What's going on? I don't understand. And God's busy going, when are they going to get it? Some of you need to change your behaviors. Some of you need to change what you're trusting in or who you're trusting in. God is in the process of disciplining you. And by the way, don't confuse this with he hates your guts and he's mad at you. This is a loving father disciplining those he loves. My dad loved me. I didn't see it at the time, but he loved me because he disciplined me. And had he not disciplined me, that would have been an example of his hatred and his despise for me. But his correction demonstrated his love for me. Some of you, God is correcting you because he loves you. Now, there's another type of fear of the Lord that the Jewish tradition talks about, and that is... It's a wordplay in the Hebrew. But fearing comes from rightly seeing. I go, huh? What? Fearing comes from rightly seeing. I'm a big fan of those uh, America's Funniest Home Video TV shows. Because I can rightly see what's going to happen. Can you? (laughs) I mean, you're watching those knuckleheads, you know, and hey guys, hold my beer and watch this, you know? And you're like, oh man, oh gosh, this is not... I haven't, I haven't even done those things, but I can see what's going to happen. 
I give full credit to the book of Proverbs that I haven't done those things. I give full credit to the fear of my father that I haven't done some of those things. I did one time. I, I decided to jump this big, huge, uh, it was a pretty tall thing of uh, dirt. And I forgot to pull up on the front wheel as I went over the thing of dirt. And my front tire hit first. And next was my face. And next was my shoulder. And uh, tasted blood briefly. You know. Get that feeling. Dirt and blood mixed together, not your favorite flavor. <laughs> and I remember my kid brother and a friend were up the hill. And I was trying to picture in my mind, what, what would that look like, seeing what I just did? <laughs> because I had pictures of just awesomeness in my head. You know, like evil Knievel, you know. Actually, evil Knievel did more often what I did than what I thought I did. I had pictures of, like, landing it and riding back up the hill and doing it again. Come on, man, this is awesome. Instead, all they saw was a rear tire and legs <laughs> flying through the air. And I remember, they're going to think I died, so I better jump up to reassure them. And my neck's not broken, and I'm still alive and breathing. And so I jumped up, and I did let, you know, I tried to, try to be cool about it. You know, hey, thank you, just what I intended, you know, as blood's dripping off my face. Oh, I meant to do that. I'm so bummed that America's Funniest Home Videos didn't exist then. I know better now. When I see a tempting jump to go over on my bike, I have right seeing that I'm too stupid to do that. Some of you can pull it off. I can't do that. And when you watch those funniest video shows, you can see what's about to happen. You see where the bat is and the kid's swinging, and you know, it's like, oh, this is not going to end well. You see the trajectory of you know, the bike, of the snowmobile, of the motorcycle. You see it, and you're just cringing. Because you are seeing rightly. And the Jewish tradition talks about seeing rightly, and it leads us to fear. So way of fear of the Lord is seeing him rightly. And some of you don't see God right. Some of you don't see him correctly. Some of you see him correctly, but you don't see the world correctly yet. Some of you don't see what, what lurks out there and the problems and the pitfalls and the, the things that want to take you out. Some of you don't understand or see that there is an adversary in your life. That there truly is evil personified in this world. His name is Satan. Mm -hmm. He prowls around like a hungry lion looking for somebody to devour. Some of you don't rightly see that. And you wonder, why does this stuff happen to me? What's going on? How come this? How come that? Because you're not seeing rightly. God says, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of skillful living. Well, what's the opposite of that? You know, sometimes that helps us understand what the Bible is saying. Is if we ask ourselves, what's the opposite of that? I mean, what else would there be to fear other than God? Or better yet, what do I fear other than God? 
Sometimes I fear my wife more than God. Sometimes I, sometimes I, I fear some of you more than God. Sometimes I fear non-Christians and what they might think of me more than God. Sometimes I, I fear what you think about my Buick. I'm driving it around town. And I think, you know what? I just need to go buy a new car, get $20,000 in debt. Because people think I look stupid in this car. You know what? I do. I... But you know what? The book of Proverbs years ago told me that if I borrow money, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to the one who lent it to me. And I decided, you know what? I'm not going to borrow money to buy a car. I'd rather look stupid than be a slave. That's what I decided. So I have money that I can give away that some of you who make a lot more money than I do can't. Because I don't have car payment. And so... Sometimes our fear of people or our fear of rejection or our fear of looking stupid or our fear of what they might think of us becomes greater than our fear of God. And then those people start functioning as gods in our lives because we're trying to please them. We're trying to be accepted by them. We are trying to gain something from them. And Proverbs says, the beginning of wisdom the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is to want to be accepted by God. The beginning of living skillfully is wanting God to be pleased with you. Not somebody else to be pleased with you. So the application from this passage is really easy. Who do you fear? Who do you fear? Or another way to put it is who are you living for? There's only so many choices. Others, yourself, or God. Those are your choices. Others, yourself, or God. And let me be really clear and honest to you, and we will see this in the coming weeks. If you live for others, it's going to mess you up. If you live for yourself, it's going to mess you up. But if you live for God, it's the beginning of skillful living. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, thanks so much for this book. Thank you for what it's spoken into my life. I pray that others here today would just want to dive in and start to learn. And for those who are already wise, let them add to their learning. For those who are simple, give them prudence. For those who are young, instruct them. Holy Spirit, help us all to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you live skillfully, wanting only to please God. <laughs>